Welcome to HSBC Global Viewpoint, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. This is a podcast from HSBC Global Research, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. However you're listening, analyst certifications, disclosures, and disclaimers must be viewed on the link attached to your media player. Welcome to Under the Banyan Tree, where we put Asian markets and economics in context. I'm your host, Harold van der Linde, Head of Asia Equity Strategy at HSBC. On today's podcast, we're taking you on a whistle-stop tour across the ASEAN economies, which are commanding more and more investor attention, particularly as an alternative to mainland China. With me in the studio are ASEAN economist Yun Liu and Aris Dachanai. ASEAN is home to 600 million people across 4.5 million square kilometers, so we've got a lot of ground to cover. Let's get the conversation started right here, under the banyan tree. A little background context to begin with. ASEAN is a collection of 10 economies across Southeast Asia with a total GDP in the region of $3 trillion per year. It's a disparate economic landscape, from the factories of Vietnam to the bright lights of Singapore's financial district. And like everywhere else, challenges around inflation and the post-COVID recovery has hit the ASEAN economies to a varying extent. Trade, manufacturing, foreign investments, they're all big themes for these economies. Yun, let's kick off with Vietnam. Uh, You've been looking at that for a couple of years now. The story with Vietnam was all the supply chains that came out of, or the factories that came out of China, and uh, they were moving predominantly to Vietnam. It was a great growth story, but somehow I got the impression it got a little bit stuck in the mud, right, Uh, Vietnam? What's going on there? Yeah, that's true. Uh, So Vietnam has been facing quite a lot of uh, trade challenges since last quarter of uh, of 2022. Um, And if we look at its export numbers, um, it declined by double digits, although now we're seeing a little bit stabilization, but Vietnam is not out of the woods yet. But I guess, you know, one pockets of resilience uh, that we're seeing in Vietnam is that FDI still remains decent. Um, so investments, right? So foreign investors right. are still going in there, that's right. building up factories. That's right, because FDI reflects a medium to long-term perspective, uh, whereas we're now facing some near-term uh, challenges on the trade market. But well, where's this trade weakness then coming from? Because they're setting up the factories, and you think they'll export all that stuff around the world. So it started with the electronic cycle, but then um, it really has broadened to uh, different other sectors, you know, textile, food, where uh, machinery, mm. a lot of the products that uh, Vietnam produces, mainly because of falling orders uh, from the West. I mean, of course, you know, part of the story is because of the structural changes after the pandemic uh, eases, the demand for goods um, has waned. Uh, we're not going to see this the same sort of demand that so we saw. So it's not really a Vietnam issue, it's a kind of a global issue. That's the correct. Demand is a bit weaker. That's right. That, that they're struggling with that. They also had some problems, I think, with the property sector there, right? That's right, yeah. So Vietnam's property market has been facing some challenges. Um, it started mm. with some liquidity issues. Uh, But the good thing is that the government has been proactively addressing some of the issues uh, with credit uh, package. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we can see some stabilization in the sector. 
Well, that, that would be good in particular for equities because we've seen the stock market come off for quite a lot. But let's fly over to the, the, the next ASEAN country, and that's uh, the Philippines. Arish, you're a Filipino. Yes. Um, uh, what's going on there? I read about unbalanced growth, food inflation. Give me a quick rundown. What's uh, going so, on? So actually, I guess to start things off, um, the Philippines has experienced in 2022 and even in the first quarter of 2023, very, very impressive growth. We grew above 7%, the highest in the past 40 years. And it's quite no, it's quite boggling in a way that we do have the highest inflation rate in ASEAN. We also raised rates most aggressively across ASEAN. So what's really fueling this growth? What's fueling this growth are people being very resilient, dipping into their savings to get by the very hard times, to get by the pandemic, to get by high inflation. So how much can savings last? You can't, you can't go, dip you into can't your dip savings into forever. Time, yes, no. yeah. At some point, you gotta have to yeah. build your savings back. So you think up. that consumption is going to come under pressure? Yes, um, we do think that consumption uh, will eventually need to slow down, to cool, to return the economy back to balance, um, and. But just quickly, so it's a consumption story, but um, one of the issues, I guess, in the Philippines that everybody's talking about taking factories and building them up in ASEAN and India, right? And they're talking about Vietnam, they're talking about Thailand, they're talking about Malaysia, they're talking about Indonesia. Nobody goes really to the Philippines, right? The FDI, the foreign investment levels are somewhat Well, I lower. do think it's underrated in a way that if you look at uh, FDI as a percent of GDP, the Philippines is actually in the middle of the pack. Okay. Yeah, but it's not really, it's not it's not at the lowest. It's in the middle, and I think it's because a lot of people want to take advantage of the very very favorable demographic trend in the Philippines. Yeah. Our median age is around twenty five. We are in the next five years. We will be building families. I myself will need to buy something in the Philippines if I do want to raise a family in the years ahead. So you do have a lot of very consumer-related FDI flowing into the Philippines as of late. This maybe brings us to the next country. So let's go to Thailand, because Thailand was the favorite investment destination in the 90s and the early 2000s. But now that's much less so. It's still there, of course. But Vietnam, people talk about the Philippines, they say more, more for consumer-related stuff. Um, what's going on in Thailand? Uh, and of course, also touch maybe quickly upon, for example, tourism, because it's a tourism place, right? So, okay. So, for example, I mean, just to relate it to the Philippines with a very favorable demographic trend. Thailand does not. Thailand mm -hmm. will soon have a declining demographic trend. So that market base that people are looking for, it's not going to be as big in the years ahead. Um, you also have high household debt. Um, high, household debt is around 90% of yeah, GDP right. today. So you know, it's hard to get that consumer market. Now, if you're a person investing from abroad, going to Thailand, it's really hard to sell domestically. But I do think what they're trying to bank on is actually to bring in more people from abroad and rely and investing on tourism to actually you know, keep the economy going. But so far, tourism, and that's really mainland Chinese tourists that's yes. uh, supposed to come, right? That's the big one. Has kind of not really lived up to the expectations, right? Maybe it comes in late in the year. For 2022 and 2023, everyone was banking on this big tourism boom for Thailand, which will bring the economy above pre-pandemic levels, which it already has, but just by a meager amount. But nonetheless, it was expecting this boom. Now, the question is, how big is that boom? It's not as booming as people expected it to be. And that's because mainland Chinese tourists are not returning as what everyone expected it to be. Um, it has plateaued at around 36% of pre-pandemic levels. And we have yet to see whether the Chinese will arrive. Everyone thought it was a supply issue, but it turns out it's really not. 
And maybe supply. that's because Chinese New Year, they went back home, see their families yes. first after COVID, right? And then then, then maybe a bit of domestic travel is easier. And, and maybe it takes time. We'll, we'll have to and see. I guess one fact that I just want to bring in is the fact that flight capacity as a percent of pre-pandemic levels is actually above um, the tourist arrivals. So it just goes to show that, you know, it's, it's okay, more of a so demand issue. You can get a flight. Yeah. So one bright spot in Thailand is the export of durian, right? That spiky, large, extremely smelly tropical fruit. Uh, And either people hate it or love it. I'm in the love camp, but I remember Fred in the previous podcast we spoke about (laughs) this. Fred said uh, it's it's not something that he can eat. And that seems to be, there seems to be a craze fruit from China, right? What's going on there? I like it frozen. I don't know how you like it. No, I like it. I like it. uh, But for, for mainland China, they like it as a, they give it, to their girlfriend, they give it to their partners as a sign of love. And that raised this like craze in China right now that uh, around one to 3% of, of China trade or China exports from Thailand to China was durian. Now it has boomed to 15%. So it's like, it's as big as like electronics or oil or something like that, Well, right? it's not as big as electronics well, it's a real just big, yet. Big it's thing. a big thing, but I guess just to put some size into it, um, Thailand is the second largest exporter of rice. Mm. Durian has ex- has exceeded rice. That's how that. big so the number is. Durian is bigger than rice. So yes. That's good <laughs> good. Let, let's now go a little bit further south. Yun, Malaysia. So do we see foreign investments still coming in in Malaysia? Oh, definitely. So if we look at uh, FDI as a percentage of GDP, Malaysia has been topping the ASEAN region. Um, and Malaysia has been getting a lot of the investment, actually broad-based investment. And that's semiconductors. Semiconductors is definitely one. And a lot of the uh, advanced a semiconductor investment from uh, the U.S., uh, from uh, Europe. But Malaysia has been gaining a lot of FDI share from China as well. But the trade has softened as well, right? A bit like the Vietnam story. That's right. But Malaysia, so Malaysia is not immune to the global trade challenges. Mm-hmm. But if we look at um, its exports, um, it has remained resilient, more resilient than other countries. Malaysia has gained substantial market share in particular semiconductors. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the semiconductors are actually um, uh, automotive uh, chips. So the demand for automotive chips have remained more resilient than demand for, say, computers or uh, smartphones. Okay, so relatively better Rel- Relatively, in, yes. in that sense. And also, uh, the, the, the new government there has uh, indicated some economic plan, right? Uh, That's correct. What, what's their idea in, in a nutshell? Yeah, so Anwar unveiled uh, a very ambitious 10-year economic plan. Um, and the main goal here is uh, for Malaysia to revert back uh, to its uh, 6% growth, um, like before the Asian financial crisis. Mm. Um, um, you know, it has outlined a lot of the policies on uh, FDI attraction, on uh, infrastructure spending. Um, so we're still waiting to see more details to be unveiled. Okay, 6% growth. That's where Vietnam is maybe a little bit lower, but Indonesia is five, yes. 5 to 6. That's where ASEAN is trending around, right? Some the major countries in ASEAN, give or take, good. Um, and then Indonesia, uh, that's of course the biggest one in ASEAN, yeah. right? By population, by anything. Uh, again, it's battery makers coming in, the macro looks pretty good. I mean, it's really in a, in a bright spot, that place, right? Yeah, and I think in one thing about Indonesia that people need to know is the fact that it has been able to achieve macroeconomic stability the soonest across ASEAN. And I think it's because it's banking on its exports on EV batteries. So the current account deficit, which used to be around, I think, above 1% of GDP before, it's going to narrow down even further 
through the years ahead, giving some macroeconomic like support and stability for Basically, Indonesia. current account deficit means you need capital from the rest of the world, or if you're in surplus, you, you actually yes. you're so providing you're actually capital. Yes, so you're yeah. actually needing less capital yeah, from, the, from rest the rest of the world. world. Yeah. And that actually gives Indonesia room to be able to cut rates earlier than everyone else across ASEAN. Mm. So our chief Indonesia economist has mm. uh, forecasted that the easing cycle will begin at the end of the year. Meaning in 2023, while, for example, in the Philippines, we forecast it to begin at maybe third, a third quarter of 2024. Yeah. So that macroeconomic stability in Indonesia... Yeah, that's really, that really, is really be- yes. and that benefits everybody. Yes. Low interest rates, not so much inflation, yes. and all these sort of things. Now, very quickly on the last one, and that's Singapore. It's uh, one of the smallest ones, but uh, the most developed, higher income uh, levels. Um, what's going there? Uh, travel... It seems to be weak in, in Thailand, but it's strong, I believe, in Singapore, right? Yeah, that's correct. So Singapore has uh, very fortunately avoided a technical recession uh, in the second quarter this year. Uh, while the trade uh, challenges are pretty much similar to uh, Vietnam is going through, but the travel sector actually has uh, still has a lot of momentum. Um, and actually, uh, in particular, the Chinese visitors' recovery is the highest in Singapore um, um, than, say, pure mm. tourism destinations. So they've gone there before Thailand. Yeah, so mm. exactly. So Singapore, um, Malaysia, and Vietnam, I think part of the reason is because a lot of the Chinese visitors going to these three markets, are uh, more of them are business travelers. So there's a lot more interest in, say, for example, the business-related activities, or FDI, than pure tourism. Very good. We're going to take a quick break now. When we come back, we'll recap what we've discussed so far, and we take a quick look at the equity markets in ASEAN. Yun, Aris, welcome back. Um, So we've made this big tour across ASEAN. And broadly speaking, it seems that the story of FDI inflows in the region is still valid. It's just a different kind of sectors and uh, industries. Trade is a bit weak, I think, right? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, uh, for the trade challenges, we're still seeing that um, in countries like Vietnam, Singapore, well, uh, to a certain extent in Malaysia as well. But the FDI story remains it's, right. It's still there. So that that's still the case. Uh, but the, the FDI story is just a bit different in, in, in the Philippines, it yeah. sounds like it, right? Um, Again, it's 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 more consumer related. It's not those electronic semiconductors related FDI that you see in Malaysia, yeah. that you see in Thailand, yeah. um, uh, and Indonesia yeah. in a sense because they go into the uh, yeah into the electric vehicle industry there. Uh, but the overall story is that actually it allows. ASEAN to hum along at about 5-6% GDP and it comes with inflows in the region that allows the currencies to strengthen. That means they don't have to raise interest rates as much or they can even start cutting interest rates across the region. And that effectively benefits everybody uh, directly or indirectly, correct? Yeah, that's absolutely right, Harold. Um, this is the macro picture. But uh, by the way, how about the equity market in ASEAN? Yeah, so the equity markets, you have to look at uh, growth as well, of course. That's where we look at an interest rate. And so now we've spoken about this, but you have to look at positioning, for example, as well. We know, for example, a lot of funds at the moment uh, are looking at Indonesia because of uh, the interesting growth story there. Um, but across the rest of the region, I think most funds, and I'm talking about uh, institutional funds that are investing in the region there, um, it's a bit more spotty. They pick the consumer market here, they pick the banks there and, and stuff. Uh, uh, that's the approach. But generally speaking, optimism on ASEAN is is, is great. 
uh, it is combined a reasonably large equity market as well compared to China. That's humongous, right? And Japan is really, really big. These markets are smaller, but if you clubber them all together, um, they become uh, sizable enough. So you see that people say, oh, let me let me go for an Indonesian maybe a company here and then I'll buy a bit in Thailand, I'll buy a bit in the Philippines. So they, they spread that around. But broadly speaking, it follows very much the story that you've, uh, that, that you've laid out here. And on that note, Jun, Aris, thank you very much for joining us on the Banyan Tree uh, this week. Thank yeah. you very much for having us, Harold. Yeah. Thank you, Harold. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Under the Banyan Tree. We now have our own dedicated podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So be sure to subscribe there or wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back again next week, putting Asian markets and economics in context. All the best till then. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Global Viewpoint. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes.